You're listening to Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Our aim, as always, is to help the people of God understand, love, and enjoy the Word of God. For more information, visit us at theologyuntucked.com. You are listening to another episode of Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Tonight's episode is titled Biblical Genres, Prophecy. And now, here are your hosts and theologians non profitas, Tim and Caleb. Ah. Tim, are you a prophet? Do you consider yourself a prophet? I am a prophet. Ah, well, that's kind of one of those uh, dicey little terms that gets thrown around a bit. I think that's one of the reasons why we want to look into this genre. Uh, but to answer your question, in some ways, yes. In other ways, no. And in so, some ways, kind of, yeah. Yeah, so um, this is kind of one of those fun uh, terminologies where we get to play all sorts of semantic games. So we get to, uh, you know, we get to volley this back and forth uh this evening and looking forward to that how about you do you consider yourself a prophet i mean you did just choose our word theologians not prophets yeah so yeah theologians not prophets uh, that was the latin term so um not prophets in the sense of the the way that a lot of people try to you know some people even title themselves prophets and, right. and apostles um and you know, I, I, I guess you could definitely make the argument since we are heirs of Christ's authority, being believers in Christ and prophets, priests, and kings. Uh, okay, well, most um, importantly, possessing the word of the Lord, possessing the word of the Lord, which is going to be really important as to why we explain not just what prophecy is, but really kind of what it is not. Yeah. Um, as as far as the genre of prophecy, obviously, I, I think that there's a lot of listeners um, that have either bought that lie or, or have heard it mistaught. Uh, you know, people taking prophecy um, and, and the prophecy genre from the Old Testament and taking it out of context um, and looking at it through the lens of modern eyes and and how it means to us today and um which we are to do that a little bit but there and again it's always done incorrectly at any time especially if you're you know going to google university or going to youtube prophets and and hearing hearing people interpret uh, Old Testament scriptures and and looking at it through the lens of today and yeah, misinterpret I think is the word you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's it it's um and I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know it's something I've heard my my whole life. It seems to be something that's definitely very western, very american um and you know of course we're western christians in in america so maybe that's maybe that's why but uh, there's there's just a lot of stuff that's mistaught about it and so we're kind of wanting to correct some of those errors um and and talk about you know how it is we're supposed to think about this so 
I don't know. What are your thoughts on it initially? Well, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, we, we see stuff like this crop up into the news cycle every once in a while, whether it's uh, someone's read another passage of Nostradamus out of context or whatever and applied it. and uh, or, or, like, for instance, the false prophets that were saying that were pushing themselves off as Christian prophets this past year who were prophesying that Donald Trump was going to win the election and convinced him convinced a bunch of people and guess what they learned that they're not prophets um and they called trump a prophet yeah maybe it was a p-r-o-f-i-t prophet well you know i tell you i think there's such a a lack of um healthy spirituality in our culture that those who are seeking for spirituality tend to glom on to anything that promises mm. some of it, uh, and and so we we've kind of we've we've painted ourselves into a corner, I think, where we where we feel like the the eccentricities of the past, or even the ways in which God used to work that Hebrews one talks about, uh, all these various ways that God used to do things. I mean, you read stories of Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah, and some of these stories are just outlandish in the way that God's working with them, something like Jonah and whatnot, and. We don't see that today, and so we go, oh, you know, in some ways we yearn for this this extreme way of, of God doing things. And so there's some of this enigmatic nature of the prophets that just appeals to that part of us. We want to see the signs, we want to see the wonders, um, and, you know, Christ interacted with that during the, during the gospel period, during his incarnation. And, and said, you know, this, this generation is always desiring a sign and a wonder, but, uh, and for them specifically, I'm not going to give you one. It, well, except for the one for Jonah, uh, which, is a, which is a fun little turn of things uh, right on their heads. But uh, it's, I think it has a lot to do with this, this lack of real deep spirituality. And so we think of something's enigmatic, like the future, and someone saying that they can say something about it, whether it's a Mayan calendar or whether it's the next election or whether it's, you know, puppies playing a Super Bowl, right? It's, it's we, we want to find out something about the future. And so then we, we, take, we take something as glorious as prophecy, as a biblical genre, and we, we impose our expectations on it. And so we come to one of the biggest misconceptions about prophecy with regards to the future. Why don't you talk about that for a moment? Well, so, you know, any of your scholars are going to talk about when when you get to looking at, first of all, your Old Testament prophets. Um, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, um, and then and then what would be, you know, all of your minor prophets. What the Jews called the Twelve. Um, right. And, and so, first of all, it is how... How is it that we're supposed to in- interpret that? Well, of, of course, we we need to understand that that the prophets, w- what they were do- doing, first of all, was um, 80% of what they were telling had nothing to do with foretelling the future. Correct. Um, there was some foretelling of the future, but even in, in that context, that foretelling of the future was was that prophet speaking to their original audience mm-hmm. in their own place and time. Um, and, and so that's where this idea of the, the genre of apocalyptic um, 
kind of comes into play uh, because they are they are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're going to talk a little bit about what the apocalyptic is, um, just very generally, but mostly to to talk about what prophecy is not. Right, 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 right. Um, you, you know, you know, prophecy. Um, it 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 focused primarily on on repentance of sin. Um, you know that the prophets were the voice of God, um, and and so apocalyptic in the apocalyptic genre, sin is 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 just it's really just like too great at the time, and and, and it's it's it, it's not the good place um, that you want to be. You know the prophets calling calling people to repentance and if you don't if you don't repent some apocalyptic type things were were going to happen and so you have this kind of theme um that that recurs throughout prophetic literature about the the day of the lord once you talk about the day of the lord because that is there's a final fulfillment of the day of the lord but but there was that's kind of a repeated theme um throughout prophetic literature there is in fact almost every time that prophets actually speak about the future which as you rightly note is not their main focus at all uh outside and and even when they are focused on the future very rarely is it with specificity it it is it is often with here's going to be the outcome of your actions should you not amend them and repent and turn to the lord um and but sometimes they do get drastically uh, uh, accurate uh, with regards to the future as far as specificity is concerned. Um, and so the Day of the Lord is one of those instances. And it's one of those that in retrospect becomes more and more obvious that there were and are several uh, times throughout history where the Day of the Lord uh, does come and visit. It's basically the Day of Judgment, the Day of Darkness, you know, the Day of God, all of these ways in which talking about it. There were historical ones, um, AD 70, um, I, I argue Jesus on the cross that very night was one of the days of the Lord. Um, you know, when you have Peter quoting in Acts 2, he's quoting Joel 2, talking about the day of the Lord, saying, Haha, you guys all visiting Jerusalem for the Passover this year? Yeah, you guys all saw this happen. Um, you know, and, and there were instances during the time of Joel who were, you know, which is several centuries before that. Uh, you have these instances where God's wrath and judgment is being poured out in a supernatural way, uh, and that's being foretold, uh, not with a date stamp, not with a, you know, here's here's what the newspapers will say that morning type heads off, but all of these are just rumblings of the final conflagration uh, that will overtake the entirety of the world. Um, that that day of the Lord is the ultimate one. It, of course, has not happened yet, but it will. And and all of those themes kind of get intermixed with it. Um, and so prophetic, I, I think because some of the ramifications of the prophetic towards the future uh, being so severe really pulls all of our attention away from the rest of the prophetic. Because it's just so fascinating that God talks about the future as easily as he talks about the past Uh, and to us it's so different to us than the way that we talk about things but god's talking about the future almost like it's a memory um in in Mm -hmm. the places where he is specific one one of the one of my favorite places in the prophets where god is specifically referencing the future and when i say specifically i mean naming names uh in the future (laughs) that kind of stuff 
is insanely rare in prophecy. Uh, and it occurs not by any accident in in uh, in Isaiah chapter forty five in the in the very center of this of this section where God is bragging about himself compared to and contrasted to the false gods of the Babylonians, and he's sitting here talking about the the lunacy of following after idols and how foolish it is to do so, and so he just he just lays it out and he talks about. In, in uh, Isaiah 45, verse 1, he talks about Cyrus. Hmm. Now, this is 150 years before Cyrus released all of them. And I, let me tell you, Cyrus ain't over 150 years old. He wasn't even born yet. His parents weren't born yet. He wasn't king, and Persia hadn't taken over Babylon yet. This is actually before the captivity. And so you have, you have an announcement of Cyrus being used by God. He is named by name over a century before he was ever king of the Persians. And when you have something like this, if you're always expecting, this is why I always emphasize how rare this is, if you're always emphasizing that the prophetic is about future foretelling and fortune telling and stuff like this, it really pulls the wind out of the sails of the impact of this passage. Uh, because for the most of the time, the prophetic is amend your ways, repent, Otherwise, I'm bringing in the locusts from the north. Otherwise, I'm bringing the Assyrians. You know, don't trust in Egypt's chariots. I'm bringing the Babylonians to destroy you. I mean, you read Isaiah 10. The Chaldeans are going to come through. I'm bringing them, and then I'm going to punish them for bringing them. I mean, there, there's so many things that are going on here. But it, it's like God is not interacting with the future typically in a way that is like doing this cool sparkle show. Like, ooh, look what I can do. Except right here in Isaiah 45 where he does that exact thing because he says the Babylonians gods cannot tell you the future. You think they're gods? Ask them what's going to happen hereafter. Right? It's it's one of these it. signs of deity and that's why it, it always comes with the prophetic. The prophet primarily is not about the future. The prophet primarily is about the word of the Lord. And, and yes. you will see it. How many times do you see it? Thus says the Lord, Thus or the or Lord. listen to these words, or one of my favorites is when Jesus is acting as prophet. He comes up to somebody and says, "Let these words sink deeply into your ears." You know that that is prophetic language. This is the word of the Lord, and that's why the false prophets are accused of saying, "Thus says the Lord," when the Lord has not thus said, and and that is the sign of a false prophet. He is saying things that are not from the Lord that are. Uh, rather than just inaccurate, they are actually against the uh, the word of the Lord. And that that really comes to the question of what it is to be a prophet when, when inspired uh, authoritative revelation in a specific sense is not newly being given anymore. You know what's interesting about, so you brought up Isaiah 45. Mm-hmm. And how huh, I, I'm not wanting to bring up Donald Trump. Of course, everybody was calling Donald Trump Cyrus. Um, but the text in Isaiah 45, he calls Cyrus his anointed one. Right. That's that, that's it, that's really interesting. Yes. Um, because anointed one, that's a title that's normally reserved for like an Israelite priest or king. Um. Why? Why is that with 
I mean, what's what's your thoughts on that as to why Cyrus is pointed as an anointed one? Because he is the one that God has sent on mission, and and right. in Cyrus's case, unwittingly. Yeah. So it's not that Cyrus is good or holy or it's almost irrelevant you know, actually it, 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 it is it is irrelevant so that that's where we get you know when we get to talking about you know the the demonic um sphere of of principalities and, and powers they're they're on god's payroll um m- meaning they're they're doing they're doing god's bidding yep um there 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 is um the idea of sovereignty comes in to play i I just see this very very relevant here specifically with cyrus because you know cyrus a king unbeknownst to him um he he is the anointed one that god is pointing to carry out judgment Mm mm-hmm um, and, and, and we see this, we see this repeated theme throughout, throughout history. Um, and, and so anyway, I, I, Isaiah's just got so many very interesting, interesting prophecies in it. Um, there's a lot of foretelling of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there and again too, it, it, it's still into the somewhat immediate future right not not that that's why we don't be we don't need to be like saying donald trump is cyprus um i think part of the problem tim too is when we do read the new testament you see jesus specifically and and you see um the authors of the new testament using old testament prophetic language can you talk a little bit about what's going on there um because sometimes like when you when you talk about like say revelation it's it's kind of messy the way john does that there's a lot of stuff that's john that john's doing with the text um old testament type language and allusions of prophecy that he's kind of repurposing oh yeah i mean it's not Um, even just allusions he just out and out takes their themes and and oftentimes he takes their exact subjects i mean all the the lamp doesn't quote it but he doesn't quote it specifically he doesn't like say so you know then there's there's other instances in the gospels to where you know they're they're quoting almost kind of verbatim right um so that that means that we got to do some work as to, I guess, what would be called hermeneutics and, mm-hmm. into an interpreting what's going on here. Yeah. Um, you because know, you think about how um, in Matthew how Jesus uses um, the prophecies in Daniel, uh, a, a prophecy that had already been fulfilled, mm-hmm. that doesn't negate that old prophecy but it but the the language that he uses um is he's pointing back to this other point so it's going to be like this um how is it that modern readers of specifically say the new testament are to discern how 
they're using these prophetic texts because it can be it can be a little bit confusing. It will be confusing if if your familiarity with the prophetic in the Old Testament is lacking. Um, if if mm. if you have not read through, or you know, if you have not studied or at least read through the the major and minor prophets, and you are trying to understand the Book of Revelation, hmm. you're you're done. <laughs> you will end up wrong, hundred percent. Because it's not just it's not just Daniel. A lot oh, of people no. point to, no, to Daniel. Look at Zechariah uh, for Zachariah. crying. I mean, you've got uh, signs all over the place. You've got Isaiah showing up in there. Um, you you've got so many different overlaps uh, of pictures and of motifs, and sometimes directly the same visions. But now, like something's changed in it. If you don't know the original vision. Then you don't really understand, you're... you know, what what the, the two lampposts are. What or I mean, there's if if you're not going. So Tim, you're saying you don't have revelation unlocked. We're not going to be coming out with a revelation unlocked series. Oh, the Book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. No. But, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm making a joke uh, um, because it's it's a little bit it's a little bit complicated. It. it yep. Supposed to be the the end the end time systems just don't they're beautiful till they're not beautiful. I mean, they just don't do justice to no what's going on. Well, they never will. But, but it's it, also a reason can't. why we shouldn't unhitch the Old Testament. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, and I mean, I I actually my sermon this past Sunday was on Revelation four and five. And I hardly ever preach out of the book of Revelation. And I was teaching on the holiness of God. And that's why I was in that passage, because that is where the heavenly vision starts, is is the holiness of God, the worthiness of him who sits on the throne, the worthiness of the lamb, the worthiness of them together, the, the weight, the value, the glory, the honor, everything that goes with this, this being that we cannot grasp, you know, and we keep on trying to, to deduce, we keep on trying to fill out. And here's one of the greatest things about the prophetic genre is it will not allow us to have a simplistic view of God. It, it <laughs> will simply destroy us. So during our service this past Sunday, I, I read Ezekiel chapter one, which if you're familiar with the opening of the prophet Ezekiel, uh, dude, I mean, if it wasn't from scripture, all I would say is that is one heck of an acid trip. Because yeah, the, there's some freaky stuff. The way he in, is in describing what he sees coming out of this tornado, and then the visions of heaven, and the throne room, and the four living creatures, the cherubim, the the wheels, the the. The four-sided faces of the cherubim with six wings and eyes everywhere, and it, it's it's such an amazing thing. And and still he he keeps on having all this clarifying language. This was the appearance of the likeness of something like this. It, there's there's just no words to describe what I'm seeing, and 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 that's one of the things I absolutely love about the prophets. It's one of the things I love about the book of Revelation is it will not allow us to simply look at Jesus in his veiled incarnate form and say, ah, I've seen everything that there is to see about God, as if the incarnation of Jesus was an exhaustive 
teaching of who God is. It is not. He said so himself. I did not come to bring a sword. Next time I will, not this time. You know, th there is there is such such an aspect of wonder and and awe and fear that comes with the prophetic and that comes with the word of the Lord that if we are taking a simplistic view of God, we need to go to the prophets. You know, and it's the same thing yes. that if, if we think that we are righteous, we need law. We don't actually need more gospel. We need to be destroyed first hmm. so that we can see our need for the gospel. You, you know, so prophecy, prophecy has like this, um, it's the direct speech of God, m m meaning that that prophet is speaking as if God is speaking. Right. And so that 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 apocalyptic genre it has, it has God. He's God's still speaking, but it's in very indirect ways. You know what? Like I say, there's he plays a character. I'm, I'm obviously, right. yeah. I, I'm I'm really attracted to all the parts of the Bible that are just weird. So, it, and and I think really everybody is. Um, but you have all you know in the apocalypse. You have these weird symbols. Um, you have bizarre language, numbers, all, all of that kind of stuff. Why is that? <laughs> the fact that 2,000 years later we're still asking that question is pretty much yeah. its own answer. We we do not know everything. Yeah. We, we try to sit down and figure it out. Don't. Sometimes it's, it's good to be confused uh, by the divine. And, and, yeah. and we need to sit there in that confusion for a long while. I actually said it this past Sunday. A lot of people hold to the 24 elders that this is an interpretation of Israel and the church altogether. Well, that, that has soteriological and ecclesiastical interpretive difficulties itself. Regardless of such, I hold to them being a higher order of angelic beings than, than, mm -hmm. than um, your, your run-of-the-mill angel, if I could ever refer to angels as run-of-the-mill. Um, and I actually read a piece on this, on those 24 elders yeah. of... But, um, but the answer of why is there 24 of them? Why are there four living creatures? I don't freaking know. Nobody does. And if they tell you they know, they're full of it. Nobody knows. That's kind of the whole point. We don't even know yeah. who they are. You know what they're called? They're called presbyters. It's just the same <laughs> word as elder in a church. Uh -huh. And we're not given any information. They have never shown up. As far as I'm aware, anywhere else in prophetic There's, literature, and there, without introduction, there they are in the throne room of heaven with their own thrones and their own crowns, and 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 there's they're but they're not God, they're not deity, they're not inside the circle of the four living creatures. They're just they're, they're something else. And I was reading something about how they were, because um, you talked about how like they're a higher order of angels. So when you go back to, say, the rebellion of Genesis 6 mm -hmm. and then another rebellion of, of Genesis 10, that um, basically the, the idea of the throne, the throne guardians, the, these the, because they have crowns, it, it, it was the idea of there was 24, there was basically 24 of them left that had not rebelled because there was other ones that, had rebelled mm -hmm. so that i i just thought that was really interesting but you're right we we don't we don't know it, because it's it's kind of the first time it's the first time that it shows up mm -hmm. um so you know what is it that's that that 
John's doing with that? That do you think John knew exactly what he was seeing? Not at all. Or is he more? Yeah, Not it, at all. it's more kind of describing in the best way that he knows trying how. to. I mean, um, uh, it's, it's evidenced by the fact that when we come near the end of the Book of Revelation, he's still trying to worship an angel. And mm-hmm. and I see, I simply pointed out we have such a low view of God that we would sooner worship an angel than what we think God is. Hmm. We have such a low view of God, and honestly, it has to do with the fact that we think we understand everything about Him. This is why I love the prophetics, because mm-hmm. it they will simply not allow us that simplistic view of our God. And this was what my entire sermon was. Don't get me going down this road, but it was on this idea that we 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 simply think that we've got this covered, and then and then the prophets come in and smack us in the face, and they go like, "Your God is not here." for your enjoyment or just for your comfort there's things going on that are more complicated and bigger and just beyond us and and you know that's really what the apocalyptic literature which is kind of a sub narrative of 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 prophetic genre is all about is describing the heavenly perspective of current events you know is god mindful you know what it's 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 the souls of the martyrs in the in the fifth seal uh, under the altar of heaven, how long, O oh Lord? How long will you go without avenging our blood? And a little while longer, a little while longer, a little while longer. Mm-hmm. That 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 is the heavenly perspective on the current, and and that's really what's trying to go on there. Now, who could possibly ever say that? No, no man could go up to heaven and figure it all out and come back and tell us. It has to be the word of the Lord coming to us. And that's what another thing is kind of different about the the prophecy genre and the apocalyptic genre is they're they're both they're they're both divine intervention, but prophecies dealing with um, divine intervention by human means, kind of like kind of like the idea of Cyprus. I mean, you, you have you have human means happening here. I just got to correct you. You keep saying Cyprus; it's Cyrus. <laughs> you keep Cyprus, on talking about Cyrus, the nation. Cyprus. <laughs> I have a map in front of my Cyrus. Cyrus. I was going to let it slide and, once, and I've been, but not I've been, twice. And I've been doing and I've been doing biblical archaeology, reading on stuff on on Cyprus yeah. too. So that was that. That's why Cyrus. <laughs> so um, yeah, don't let things like that slip, Tim. Um, but so like w- w- with Cyrus, that that's prophecy because you have natural human means of there there's divine intervention but it but it's done by human means apocalyptic is divine intervention but it's done supernaturally Uh, that's where you have more of these visions you have uh, an angel um an angel of lord coming down you know type of an idea um how god uses us is is another thing that just, I, I guess, kind of blows my mind. Mm-hmm. How how he uses common people. I mean, you know, the prophets were, they're just dudes. Right. They they're just dudes, and and then so when when I when I do think about you know how we as the church, um, how our identity. Um, how how we are supposed to walk. So, so this this is where I would say that yes, where where we 
where we are prophets or 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 we should be but it has to be aligned correctly you know are we are we speaking god's word um are are we are we aligning ourselves and those that we disciple and and not compromising the gospel and, and i would say that that's that's prophecy that is and that we, we we are being prophets when we are practicing when we are practicing discipleship we are being prophets we're doing the work of a prophet without the office of prophet is how i usually try to describe correct it. i do not believe that there's an office of prophet in the church now right there was at one point um i don't believe that that carries out i may be wrong on that with respect to all time frames and all eras before uh you know from the beginning of the church age until the coming of christ but as i see it i do not see that that is how god is currently interacting with the world i don't see any need for it now that his word has come the gospel once delivered and spoken through his son in these last days i don't really see the need for prophets to arise and yet we saw in the book of acts um, there were certain prophets who still were foretelling things in the future, which... And prophetesses. Uh, correct. And these things were still happening. Now, whether that dies down or not is really a story for another time. Um, but but I, I w with regards to the word of the Lord, it is, it is, you are exactly right in that it is paramount to the concept of the work of the prophet. Uh, Isaiah is told this, right? So we just talked about Ezekiel and John's experience uh, in in the throne room of heaven. Isaiah has his own in Isaiah 6. And uh, towards the end of that chapter, after all the real, you know, the big lightning stuff and everything like that, there's this warning. There's this warning that I think a lot of people overlook. You know, they, they always pay attention to the, you know, here I am, send me, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. God sends him out with a message that's going to fail. Hmm. God sends him out with a message that's going to literally make the eyes of people blind, their eyelids heavy, their, their ears dull. Otherwise, they would turn and repent and not have to heal them and save them. And this fascination with the word of the Lord means that actually preaching the word, the gospel, the law, the prophecy of the Lord, thus says the Lord, is actually more important than any result and outcome. Uh, and basically Isaiah is commissioned off with this go out and as far as from man's perspective, you're going to fail. Now go preach it. Uh, and I, honestly, I'd say this to a lot of pastors. If, if you're not, if you're not having that respect for the word of God in your pulpits, uh, you're, you're giving it a disservice. It needs to be taught regardless of the outcome, regardless of what it costs you, regardless of where it sends you. The word of the Lord must be rightly proclaimed. Jesus does the exact same thing with parables. And he quotes, or at least alludes to, uh, Isaiah 6 in the same way when people are asking him, why is it you're always talking in parables? And he says, well, otherwise they would see and perceive and hear and understand and repent. And then they would turn and I would heal them. For those who are outside, everything's in parables. And he says to his disciples, but to you has been revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and if, if our preaching of the scriptures, 
the word of God, the revelation of God, plays second fiddle to appeasing the ears and the eyes and the hearts of those that are not in the household of faith, or honestly, to even those who are in the household of faith, we will demonstrate ourselves as doing the work of the false prophet, um, which is to do and say anything that will itch the ears of those who will readily have them scratched, uh, rather than to give them the word of the Lord, regardless of outcome and cost. Um, the work of the prophet is not an easy one. There's not a single one of them that had an easy time doing what they did. Uh, Isaiah, rough time. Jeremiah, very rough time. Ezekiel, uh, I don't want to cook bread the way he had to cook bread. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to go down these roads. Jonah, for all the beatings up we take on him, I wouldn't have done anything better. You want to you want to tell me that the people who are trying to hunt us down and are are basically our sole enemy, you want me to go to their capital city? I know you're a gracious God. You're going to try to save every single one of them. If I was in his situation, I imagine I would have gone to Tarshish and further. Hmm. And yet, you talk about how God in the prophetic reveals how he interacts with things. I always point out at the beginning of Jonah, which is just such, so, such a unique thing in prophetic genre because the vast majority of it, like 99% of it is narrative. There's only yeah. one sentence of prophecy 40 days from now and the city will be overturned. That's it. And God uses this kind of story to, to affect the readers and the hearers of it. To say, God is at work in the midst of history in ways you couldn't imagine. I always point out, there's actually two groups of people that God goes out to be merciful towards at the beginning of Jonah. Everyone knows of Nineveh. What's the other group? Well, it's, it's the damn sailors on the ship. Mm, God right. didn't choose Jonah in the hopes that he would be good. He chose him because he was going to go to Tarshish. Because he already knew what he was Correct. Wow. And here's the thing. I've never even thought here's the thing. That. The people in Nineveh would have never repented unless Jonah had been digested by a fish. You know why? Jesus talks about this. One better than Jonah is here. What sign was Jesus going to give them? They always want signs and wonders. He's like, fine, I'll give you one sign. And he chooses Jonah of all things. What is it? A man goes into the grave for three days and comes back to life bearing the signs of death all over him. When Jonah showed up in Nineveh, was not just a random dude showing up on the side of the road. Partially digested, lost all his hair, bleached out skin, walking into the city, obviously having been dead. Jesus says the same thing. I'm going into the grave for three days and I'm coming back bearing the signs of death and yet alive. I mean, that that is powerful stuff. And that kind of a story is, is kind of endemic to the prophetic. It is, we are messing with a God that is beyond us. And, and those types of things are just fantastic. And the way that God interacts with things, you're exactly right. It's not just doing these tricks to show you I know the future and just to show off. Sometimes he does that, but most of the time it's calling us to repentance and or giving comfort to the people of God in the midst of suffering. At all times, you this know, is I, our I, God. I, 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 I've never even thought about how 
the for, the the for the forethought, the foreknowledge of of God, and and knowing that Jonah's going to go in the opposite direction, right. um, to be with a few sailors. That was an Easter sermon um, of mine years back. That's a that I mean that I mean that, I, that's that's why I love the Bible. Yeah, Stu- this is why the prophetic is so is, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And so, tell us about how. Now there, there's the genre of prophecy, but then we've got prophecy interweaved in through these other books of the Bible. So, I mean, we've got mm-hmm. we've got prophecy in in the Psalms. Um, h- how is it mm-hmm. that one is to discern? what is prophecy and, and, and what is not in these other areas that are not explicitly prophecy? It, it, should we stick to basically just what the New Testament um, speaks to in that? You're, you're speaking of hermeneutical principles, interpretive mm-hmm. principles that are complex. If we were to yeah. undergo some of those things without New Testament warrant, we are treading on very, very rough um uh, uh, precedence that we're setting, right? I mean, to, dangerous. To be, per- pre- yeah, to be perfectly honest, say. if we come to Psalm 110 without the authority of Jesus Himself saying, "The Lord said to my Lord," you know, I mean, and and talking about David referring to his descendant as his, as his Lord, and and calling that to to task with regards to uh, there's a deity claim in there. With regards to his descendant, I mean that that yeah, because he's responding to the to the Sanhedrin. I mean, there is no answer to it, and that's why the Sanhedrin don't have an answer to it. There just isn't one. Uh, it it is complex. Yeah, their response was they wanted to kill right, him. Because- right, so we don't like what you have to say. So we'll it's, the, it's cancel culture, you know, Old Testament style, <laughs> uh, and it's it, you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. If if we were to go somewhere without biblical warrant, like it was not used elsewhere in the Old Testament or anywhere in the New Testament, like that, this one of the it's one of the difficulties I have with with interpreting things like this is it better if it doesn't have. So here's my guardrail, right? If I'm running into something like that, if it doesn't have New Testament warrant, it better have complete and full consistency with everywhere else in Scripture. You cannot teach yeah. new doctrine out of a thematic possible prophetic you can't do that you might and be I, right that's by I think accident we get to slipping into gnosticism right you I, might I, be right by accident but the next 12 times you do it you will be wrong and i i think that's what the early the early early gnostics did that they they saw all of these phenomenal things and then saw maybe similar themes um, and, and I think that's the repeated theme that we 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 see today with people saying that this is prophetic, this is prophetic. Uh, you know, they may they may be seeing some kind of kind of a common theme that's happening. Um, and those are very strong, and they're everywhere. But and they're yeah, everywhere, but... and we can learn from them, and it's and it's wisdom. But there and again, to to point it to prophecy is is where it gets a little bit dangerous because we're, we're not, we're not really supposed to know the future. 
it, it's one of the things that after nearly a decade in a pulpit I have learned to appreciate is that when 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 the scriptures are when the scriptures are containing what some people call tension I hate that terminology because it makes it sound like there's disagreement there's not disagreement there's times of ambiguity in the text yeah and yeah. and to have the the honesty and the bravery uh, and then the courage in front of the people of God to let that ambiguity stand without you trying to iron it all out. Because the ambiguity itself is divinely intended. Sometimes it's good to sit in a passage confused. And if you never sit in a passage confused, go read the prophets. <laughs> you will you will not make it. You ain't read the you Bible. You will not make it but a couple of chapters. Uh, even in even in the most you know even in the most uh, narrative based one, go pick Daniel for crying out loud, you know. And you know it's you, you. There's there's a lot of purposeful ambiguity, right? And so the uh, from for my dissertation topic, that that something that I noticed. Oh a yeah, lot you're swimming in we, the purposeful ambiguity, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I mean it it. Uh, it, it's there for a reason. And, and so it's like, well, is it this? Is it this? And and it's like, well, it's both. And it's probably something else. Yeah. Um, that there, there's a lot of m mystery there. I, I, I think that that's also too kind of the mystery with the parable and, and, and why Jesus spoke in such ways. Mm. Uh, there, there are things that, that sit with you um they 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 stay with you they they speak to you in different ways at different times um kind of like the holy spirit does it's almost like the holy spirit speaking uh, it's almost like he was the one writing all this and he's got a lot more wisdom than us it, it, you know, this kind of stuff is is what I absolutely love. And I love the way you talked about it. At times you will read the same passage, you'll interact with it differently. Um, this is not a textbook of information about God. Th this is God's revelation. The, the infinite creator and his mind gave this to the people of men in order to have revealed truth. Hmm. That... That needs to just, you know, I, I, I'm not really part of a hugely liturgical backdrop in, in, in my church um, past. Um, I certainly added a bunch more of it in um, towards the end when I started noticing the, the lack of it being so detrimental. But I love mm -hmm. churches that remind themselves, this is the word of the Lord. And we all mm -hmm. thanks be to God. We all say thanks be to God. Why? Because we would never have this, and we would never have, not just the information, we would never have the word of God that is able to divide even to the thoughts and the intentions of the heart of man. No other book does this. Mm. Other books just tantalize the mind or the imagination. This one gets right down into our desires and does deep work on us. It's not just another religious book. It's not just another set of principles. It's not a list of do's and don'ts, though it has those. It is multifaceted, it is complex, 
And one of the places where God does a lot of awesome humility work is in the prophets. And honestly, I find so many Christians are lacking in this area. And I would imagine one of the first questions I have for them is, how much time do you spend reading the word of God where it confuses you? The answer will invariably come back, none. And I love it when people come up to me and they go like, uh, I got a question for you. I, you know, what's this section of the scriptures means? And you know what? Sometimes I just go like, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, go find it out. And then I come back and I go, nobody knows. <laughs> There's a reason why we're confused about it. Sit in it a while and tell me what you think. What, yeah, that's, God does that's not, for me, God does not have you reading that page part. by accident. Your confusion yeah. And that ambiguity is there for a reason. Sit on it. Don't leave it. There, there's some, there's some good work that God does in our confusion in front of His Word, and and oh, absolutely. And, and and if we just find something confusing and we walk away from it, only to say, let me go find something that's more comfortable to sit in, you know, um, we're going to skip that. Not to say that the other scriptures won't do good work; they will. But there's something special about being confused before the presence of the Lord. There's something special about that. And that's what the prophets really tantalize us with, with the way they write. That's why I got a problem with, I, I, it's not a problem with practical theology. It's, it's a problem with the way people understand practical theology, practical theology, I would say is actually very difficult to, um, because there's some to text right, just yeah. to finding yeah to, to finding the practical application it, meaning like how is it I'm supposed to think about this um I, I so it's it's not that I have a problem with practical theology I, I I got a problem with people with how people understand or or how practical theologies to be thought of when when people say things like uh, unhitch the Old Testament because there's there's practical application to be pulled out of these very ambiguous difficult texts and and sometimes that practical <laughs> the practical ideas god is 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 way bigger and more complex than i could have ever perceived him to be it's, sometimes that's the practical thing like i i just don't even know I can't even wrap my mind around around this text of what of what God's revealing to me, um, and then there's then there's the times where He's just revealing something very obvious. Um, so, so you know, there's a lot of the mistakes. But like, well, this in Sunday schools you'll hear, well, well this text means to me this. Um, some sometimes that's right but a lot of times it's it's not um however i i do believe that there's mystery in into how um god will speak to us personally so when we when we think about the apocalyptic and and or the prophetic literature uh, about how say jeremiah is telling people to repent and and all or all of these things we we can we can definitely take that very personally Mm -hmm. um you know looking in 
to our own heart and they, do you need to repent it, it, is is there is there something that you need to um bring before god and otherwise these very similar themes types of things that were going to happen to a nation of people are very obviously going to happen to us individually um so so we we can read them very practically in the idea from a personal matter of, of what this means to me um when it's if it's going to bring us to repentance to him mm-hmm. i guess is what i'm yeah. saying right right and and really a lot of this has to do with with how uh how strong of a force the prophetic genre is uh and why god had such harsh words for those not who are writing false histories or those who are even writing false laws. He had the harshest words for those who are writing false prophecies. Uh, those who are claiming mm. to speak for the Lord and let ambiguity shield them from error checking. You know, and and so in the earliest of times, uh, really before uh, Israel had its own history or its Psalms or even its own prophets that were written down, uh, in the in the earlier prophets, even before them, you have someone like Balaam, right? And and God mm-hmm. God offers a protection to the people of Israel by uh, changing the changing the words in his mouth, and he does the same thing through his donkey, changing the the breath in his mouth to words as well, and warning him, "There's an angel about to strike you from your path." And you know, God interacted with with his people for the sake of his revelation to come to them in various ways. And that was one of them in just such strange ways. But in the last days with regards to the latter prophets, he, he comes to them in a varied in a varied way, but he's always emphasizing the importance of the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And, and it's, it's always front and center in all of prophetic genre. And, and here, here at the end of this, if we can just, really focus on the reality of this and see the detriment that comes to to the Christian life and even the, to the churches who would set the word of God aside maybe not maybe not necessarily in prominence but to set it aside in in force where we can just look at it and go ah you know I know it says this I know it talks about this but let me let me reinterpret it this way. Let me let me undo this or redo that so that actually my my politics or my philosophy or whatever other thing my my desire to have success or whatever gets to override what is clearly said in scripture for my benefit. You know, it's interesting you say that because um John uses that that same that same um, prophet uh, Balaam um, in Revelation, um, and, and so he there there and again he's riffing on on this same idea of people that are what you mean Jude wanting what, what, did, did John use that no, in Revelation? That, Where does no, John it, use that in Revelation? John uses that in Revelation. He he talks about uh, it's either in Revelation three or four. Oh Jesus um, in in Revelation three, doesn't he? Well, John being the author, but um in Revelation three and four he talks about how Balaam 
Right, it's, uh, it's actually Revelation um, chapter Ed? 2. Here it is. Is it 2? Yeah, when he's talking to the church in Pergamum, Jesus, the words of him Pergamum. who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know you, where you dwell, Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, you do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, <laughs> who was killed among you where Satan dwells, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some of the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Yeah, yeah, um, Same idea Balaam, of, of false teachers and, and, and false prophets. and Right, 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 right. You know, that you use, use the text to want it to say something that they want it to say. Right. Um, which, is, which is why we wanted to cover this topic specifically is of how to not interpret uh scripture and, and more so i would say that this doesn't happen from an individual standpoint but it happens from false teachers that are out there that are teaching to interpret the bible in such a way um it, it it's very dangerous uh and it's very much a repeated theme in in our culture that we got to be very careful not to do. Well, I mean, with all of that said, Caleb, I'm going to ask you to close this out in prayer, specifically with reference to our appreciation for the multifaceted, amazing God that we have that revealed himself in so many different ways, especially the prophetic. Yeah. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we, uh, we're just, we're so thankful for the word that you've given us to study the the mystery the ambiguity the the complexity of how you spoke to us personally and and spoke to your people throughout generations what what a gift that we have to this very day that we can sit on a podcast and 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 speak about such great things. Lord, we thank you so much for being complex and mysterious and loving in all of it. Lord, we um we we lift up our listeners that are that are out there that are possibly confused and 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 with 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 reading the biblical text and and lord we 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 just ask for peace in that and we we ask for um you to encourage them and to continue to reading your word and we 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 ask for a lot of these listeners that that need church homes that that need to be uh, under a pastor that's going to shepherd their soul well, Lord, that people that are going to disciple them well, and Lord, we 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 just really have this on, on our heart to, that this is something that we believe that we we are all called to um, a proper understanding of of authority um of 
relationship with other believers in our lives. Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Teach us to love you better. In your holy name we pray. Amen. listening to Theology Untucked. Join us each week as we engage in all things theological, biblical, and cultural. These are the types of conversations we should be having in the church today, and we aim to play our part. Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like us to address, or a prayer request, please send them to us. You can reach me at Caleb at TheologyUntucked.com. Or you can reach me at Tim at TheologyUntucked.com. Do note that your prayer requests remain strictly confidential. We will not be sharing them on the show. For more information or to support the show, please visit TheologyUntucked.com. Lord's blessings to you all.